about um, seven or eight years ago, there was this photograph that was taken in New York City. Um, I think it was Times Square. And it was at night. Uh, it was in the winter. And it was uh, in the picture it was a police officer and this homeless man. And uh, it was taken, the picture was taken by a tourist. And uh, the picture ended up going viral. I mean, very viral. Um, tons of people saw this photo. Um, it's an amazing sh- shot. It's uh, a police officer, this homeless guy sitting on the ground, sort of, I guess, like in the front of a, maybe a storefront. And uh, he's got no shoes and no socks on. And the cop is uh, kneeling in front of him. But if you look a little bit closer at the picture, you can see that he's uh, in between himself, the police officer, and this homeless guy is a a pair of boots. And uh, he's getting ready to help this man put these boots on his feet. He, uh, I guess a couple of minutes before, he he saw the guy on the street. And uh, this tourist was kind of watching the whole thing, apparently. She... um, she saw him kind of talk to the, to the guy for a minute, the homeless guy, and then the police officer asked, saw that he was barefoot and asked him uh, what his shoe size was. And then she just waited around. She waited around to see what was going to happen. And a couple of minutes later, uh, he returns with these boots. He bought a, bought a pair of boots and a pair of socks for the guy. Spent about 100 bucks. Um... It's an amazing photo. It's like, it's almost like, uh, oh, is it up there now? It's almost biblical. Like, it's just, uh, the cop is almost like Christ. Um, I mean, he's wearing a uniform, of course, but I don't know. It's like a combination of, like, the washing of the feet and just uh, almost like Jesus healing um, so many of the people that he healed in the Gospels. Um, Anyway, this tourist, the woman who took the picture, uh, the cop never knew. Like, he never knew that any of this was happening. She, she'd every, she did everything kind of from a distance. Ended up writing a letter to the police department, sent the photo, made its way to Facebook, and then it kind of just exploded online. Uh, I was reading this article about generosity. Uh, It was written by a psychologist and it was totally coming from a sort of like a psych perspective. What makes somebody generous? Why are some people really generous in giving and some people just not? They just won't give really much of themselves. and it was actually, I don't think generous, generous wasn't even quite the word. The word that was used in this article was altruism, which I guess is a little bit more nuanced than, than generous. Anyway, this is kind of what they focused on, the, like the, the, the working definition of, of, an al, of altruism. Uh, it's when people do something selfless for a stranger. Or again, that's what they focused on. Like this cop, 
I mean, he didn't know who this homeless guy was, and it wasn't like he had an expense account that allowed him to go out and buy boots for homeless people, and he, he paid for that himself, of course. This is what the definition says. Altruism is acting to help someone else at some cost to yourself. It can include a vast range of behaviors from sacrificing one's life to save another, to giving money to a charity or volunteering at a soup kitchen, or simply waiting a few seconds to hold the door open for a stranger. Often people have altruistically, often people behave altruistically when they see others in challenging circumstances and they feel empathy and a desire to help. You know, in this article, part of the article involved this, well, they, they interviewed different people who had done like uniquely altruistic things, sacrificing something of their own for a stranger. Um, you know, to sacrifice for somebody you love, I mean, it's honorable, but it's also like, that's what we do, right? You know, parents sacrifice for their kids and husbands for their wives and you sacrifice for your friend. Like, you know, that's what we should do, isn't it? Isn't it sort of what we instinctively do? But when it's somebody you don't know, a complete stranger, and you sacrifice, that's like... That's just something on another level. Anyway, people who had done that were, were interviewed in this article and they kind of studying and surveying people. Well, there was this one guy who, um, very interesting, they, they, they gave part of the actual interview. He donated one of his kidneys to a stranger. Um, he was perfectly healthy. It wasn't like... You know, people donate their organs. You're an organ donor, so if, you know, God forbid you die suddenly, then, okay, you get the green light to harvest their organs. But this guy was very much alive, and he didn't know the person who needed the, uh, the kidney. So he's interviewed. And this is a, couple of the, a little bit of the back and forth. So first question is, why did you do this? She needed the kidney. And she was running out of time. But you didn't know her. I didn't need to know her. She was going to die without it. But you had to undergo invasive surgery and discomfort. And you didn't know her. Yes, that's true and I didn't know her. Now you have only one kidney. I only need one. What if your one kidney goes bad? Well, I hope someone will do for me what I did for her. And then the article goes on to explain how people who, who donate a kidney, like in that sort of context, it often costs them money. They got to travel sometimes to wherever the surgery is happening. You'd think that would all be covered. Well, it's often not. Sometimes there are medical uh, needs post-surgery, again, that aren't covered. Loss of time at work. Seems hard to believe that it could cost, cost you money. The process of giving up a part of yourself for a stranger, and it's still going to cost you. Anyway, she asks about that. 
So you're, you actually had to pay to donate your kidney, she says. And, they, and, then, and then the article said, well, he, he paused for a minute and he was kind of looking frustrated. He said, yes, I did. And then he says this, but you need to understand, I'm a Christian. And Christian, Christians are called to love all people. That's not a suggestion or a recommendation. It's the law. We're not required to just love our kids and our spouses and friends. That's easy. We're told to love all people, to love all of our neighbors. And that's what I did. I mean, don't you want to? Don't you want to know that guy? I mean, don't you want to? Don't you want to be that guy? Man, he's living it. He is living out this gospel. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? And he says very simply, there's actually two. You follow the. I think there were 613. I think it was. Laws in the Old Testament. Which one matters most? Kind of an impossible question. Like last week, you know, do you pay the taxes to, do you pay the, is it God or state, Caesar or, or not? None of the one of these kind of, how do you win questions? And he goes, well, there's two of them. Love God with all that you have, with your heart and with your soul and with your mind. Number one. And number two, and this is really part of number one, he says, you just need to love everybody. You need to love your neighbor. And then he says this, and if those two things are happening, they're like, they're foundational. They're the foundation for the building. And when they're in place, the building stands. Everything works when we're doing those two things. When we're not the building won't last. If I'm doing one of them, but not the other, I'm doing both of them, but neither of them that much, the building's gonna be shaky. But if you commit to these two, love God and love your neighbor, don't worry about the other 611 rules. They're all covered with those two. Seems to me the challenge or it is for me the challenge that I just, I know that's true, I know that's the way to be, but I just often miss it, I miss the mark. I might be pretty good at one and I neglect the other. I remember reading this story about a, it was written by a priest, it was a, he was a college university chaplain somewhere in the Midwest, a big giant university. And he was a Catholic priest, so he was responsible for the, you know, the Newman Club and the, the Catholic presence on this campus. And he talked about this uh, parent who he got to know over the years. This guy had a, a daughter who went to the school and was very much a part of the Catholic scene on campus. And the guy was very, very, uh, very grateful. Him and his wife would, uh, twice a year, three times a year, they'd, they'd visit. And they always went to Mass and he'd always come up to the chaplain and thank him. Thank you for being here. Thank you for providing church for my daughter. The prospect of, of dumping her on a college campus 
which is insanely secular and godless in so many ways, for four years and there not be a church presence is, is beyond dangerous. And how, how true is that? How right was he? So he was grateful. And every time he'd show up, he got a lot of thank yous. And he had, according to the priest, he must have had money because he, he would he'd help subsidize the program. He'd, he'd write a check and help pay for the re- retreat that was coming up in the spring or a, a, a service trip. Very, very grateful guy. Anyway, the girl is now a senior and she's getting ready to graduate. And she decides she's gonna do something different after college. She uh, applies to um, what they, the JVC, it's the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is essentially like a, like a Catholic Peace Corps. You take two years after college and you commit to working among the desperately poor in some you know, sort of God-forsaken part of the world where people have incredible needs, and you live in community, a Catholic community, and you just serve people, and you make pretty much nothing for the two years that you're there. Well, that was what she was in the process of doing, and the father was not too happy, so much so that he wrote the the priest a letter, and he was asking him to discourage her from applying, and he was like, no, I'm not gonna discourage this. Like, this is evidence that what we're doing here worked, four years in a strong Catholic community, and this is what she wanted to do. Does that mean every graduate has to do two years of that? No, but in this kid's case, it's what she wanted, and it was right. And he wasn't gonna say, he wasn't gonna discourage her. The guy sits in, and then they, I guess they ended up talking, you know, the father and the priest, and the guy was just upset. He was like, I, said, I spent a lot of money for four years here, now she's gonna go save the world? Like, yeah, kind of. She's going to try, like, we're kind of told we're supposed to do that in our own way. This isn't the only way, but it's an absolutely valid one. Now, it's interesting how you can, this guy couldn't have been more grateful that she was going to Mass every Sunday, as he should have been. And she, he should have been grateful for that, because there's probably nothing more important than that. So he got, like, the, the love of your God piece to this gospel, but the love of your neighbor, part two, Well, that was a different story. It's like, kind of like, I'm going to love God on my terms, where and when it's comfortable for me. But then when I get stretched, and I even get it. He was probably nervous about his daughter, you know, maybe being in a part of the world which wasn't the safest in the world. I mean, I understand that. But this guy was like, according to the priest, was like militantly opposed to it. Like, they were all had done something wrong. No, they were doing it right. No, they were living out part two of this gospel. If it's only part one is honored, then the foundation is halfway there, and it's not, it's not gonna be authentic. It's gotta be both. So maybe the question for us is, okay, well, here's two pieces, God and neighbor, neighbor and God. I gotta love both, I gotta commit to both. How good am I at that? We're probably better at one than the other based on, I don't know, our personality or where we come from, who we are, and that's okay. But the area where maybe we're less committed, there's the challenge, it seems to me. And you've seen, I'm sure you've seen these commercials lately. Uh, I mean, you see them a lot. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Wounded Warrior commercials, Tunnels for Towers, um, 
tunnels two towers and uh, completely amazing charitable organizations that help wounded and disabled veterans. What they're doing now, at least this one particular commercial, is they're, they're helping to raise money to provide homes for seriously disabled veterans, like more than wheelchair accessible, like refitting homes so they can really accommodate the, de- the disability that they've been dealt. And you know the commercials, they usually profile a veteran and they'll talk a little bit to him, maybe his wife, maybe the kids. And it's kind of hard not to be touched by it when you think the sacrifice that these people made for us and now in some cases like forever affected and in some cases in terrible ways. There's one that I've I've seen lately. Uh, It's not quite the profile of one person. What they've done is they've taken, they got maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 veterans and they just, they, 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 they kind of, they show up on this scene, this setting, and they just appear, and you just see them. And they look at the camera, and they like, they say a word, one or two words. But what you can't miss is their disability, because they're missing limbs, in some cases, like multiple limbs on, on one person. In some cases, they've been burned terribly from explosions. And it's like one, it's like bam, bam, bam. It's like they, they keep coming. And like you just, you can't ignore it. You know, I, when, I, when I watch it and I'm really looking at these commercials, I just, like I want to like look away. And what am I saying? I'm not saying we're supposed to, you know, every time the commercial comes on, you got to pull out your credit card and make a, I mean, we'd be as, as poor as the homeless guy in the street if you did that. Like you can't every single time. Every time you see a guy on the street, do you buy him a pair of $100 boots? I mean, we got to be realistic. But I guess what I'm saying is like looking the other way, whether it's literally or figuratively, that doesn't really cut it. The commercials you see for the animals, pet dogs, like, I don't know, ASPCA or whoever it is, you know, where the animals have been abused and neglected, it's terrible. Like I literally, I just look and you see these little starving dogs in cages and you just, I I do turn the channel because it's just hard to watch. I don't know, maybe it's somewhere between pulling out the credit card every time you see one of these commercials and changing the channel. Somewhere between those two realities is where we have to be. Like looking the other way, I just, it just, it seems to me it's like flies in the face of part two of this gospel, this love your neighbor thing. And what does that mean, love your neighbor? It means lots of things. How we love our neighbor plays out probably in a thousand different ways. There's no one, only one way of loving our neighbor. But looking the other way is, is not one of them. Changing the channel is not one of them. You know, that city cop in the picture, he was asked about, you know, he was interviewed after, you know, the whole thing went viral. And he explained why he did what he did. It was real simple. He said it was freezing out. And you could see the blisters on his feet. I was wearing two pair of socks and I was still freezing. He wouldn't change the channel. Neither did that 
kidney donor. Neither can we. 